0: keep playing, but okay. well, thank you again for being here this morning. We love and appreciate you. It's my honor to introduce to you, Pastor Steve Cooper, from uh, I always say Allegheny, Pennsylvania, right out on the river. This is the busiest time of year for him, and he takes some time down to come to come here and preach to us and help Pastor take a little bit of needed R and R and be a blessing to us. Thank you, Pastor. We are glad to be here. It's always a little shock when you get off the plane, though, and that uh, blast furnace hits you. This year it wasn't so bad because it was my first experience and my wife's, too, of flying into a potential hurricane. We really didn't think the plane was going to take off. We really went to the airport because we figure if they cancel the flight, we get a total refund. If we cancel the flight, we don't know what we're going to get. So we went to the airport, and um, lo and behold, there was no announcement. We were sitting there. We were expecting it. The flight is canceled. We just were certain it was going to happen because we heard the weather reports. We got on the plane, and we were still pretty certain they were going to have us go back in or fly someplace other than Punta Gorda. But lo and behold... The pilot announces over the loud system, the storm has weakened. I think what he meant was the storm slowed down. And it was still someplace south of here when we landed in um, Punta Gorda about 1115. There was like this little drizzle. And I thought, that's not too bad. That's not too bad at all. <laughs> but then later on, <laughs> things really got exciting. We're glad to be here. We're speaking on heaven today. It's, it's a little strange, you know, for me to think about that. Um, because I have, it's just one of those things that you figure are going to happen to you, but you really don't plan on it right away. But my mother reminded me that everybody in our ancestry, my grandfathers, all died what she called young. She's 91 years old. My grandfather, Garrison, died at 68, and my grandfather, Cooper, died at 68. All her brothers are dead. So I was explaining to her that I thought I was in pretty good shape because Dad lived to be 83 years old. He would have been 84. He died eight years ago. My mother's 91, as I said, and I figured, um, you know, it's, it's pretty likely that I'm going to live a while yet. And she said, Oh, don't you know that skips a generation? <laughs> You're living on borrowed time. <laughs> so, this study of heaven means something special to me. It also means something special because my daughter's already in heaven. I want to know what she's experiencing as much as I can know. I want to know what it's going to be like when I get to heaven. And I figured that I probably lived. Three quarters of my life. In fact, to make the last quarter, I have to live to be a 100. So I'm not really counting on that. I'm really a much closer to the destination of heaven. How many of you feel that way, too? You're pretty close to the, yeah, there's a bunch of you out there. You know that the time is coming, and so you want to be ready. And it would be nice to know when you're going to go on a trip or something, you want to know as much as you can about where you're going and what you're going to experience and all the things that you want to see it's just part of what we do when we're planning something like that. Well, we should be planning our trip to heaven. We're going to be able to look into God's Word and see things perhaps you've never seen before in the Scripture about heaven. And so, Roger, let's let's roll it. Our Father's house, this comes from a Scripture found in, in uh, yeah, it's, uh, let me see... There it is. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God. Believe also in me and my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And I'll receive you again unto myself that where I am, you may be also. And if you'll notice in that scripture, he talks about his father's house. Many mansions in his father's house. When we think of a house, we're thinking of something, you know, well, just give God a mansion. But no, he says many mansions. And to get a glimpse of just how big this place where God lives is, there are several scriptures that we can look at. Let me say this at first. We don't really realize how big the earth is sometimes. Sometimes. And um, just to give you an idea, if you took the population of the world right now and you had people stand like this, side to side, all over the earth, you could put the population of the world within the city limits of Jacksonville, Florida. Now, heaven is a lot bigger than earth. And there's going to be a lot of room for us in this place that God is building. In fact, here's the scripture. Isaiah 66 verse 1 tells us that, Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build unto me, and where is the place of my rest? I want you to think about that for a moment. Heaven is the throne. Of God. How big is heaven? Well we don't know. We've never been even to the outskirts of the second heaven, which would be the sun, moon, and stars and all the galaxies that are out there. In fact, we don't have a telescope that can see to the end of it. Well there's there's the Father's throne. He made all of that. He controls all of that. It's working just like a fine tuned watch. Everything is just running as God would have it run. Then He puts His feet on us. We're the earth. We're the footstool. That's how big our God is. Also, whenever you look in the Scripture, you find that God describes this place of heaven. Well, we don't have any way to describe it. Because it says, as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard Neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love Him. So if you love Him this morning, you're never going to be able to grasp everything that God has prepared for you. All the wonders of heaven. All the wonders of the life to come. All the things that are going to change in your existence in the future when you're resurrected All those things are going to be part of your future, and it's going to be hard for you to comprehend all of it. And probably you won't be able to comprehend all of it, even when you get there. That's how big our God is. Heaven. It's mentioned 327 times in the Old Testament, 255 times in the New Testament. It's 580 times you'll find the word heaven. Do you think God might have had something to say about heaven to us? In fact, there's a real challenge here. Whenever you're studying the Word of God, you want to do something other than just casually read. You know, like you say, Oh, well, I read my Bible passage today. And uh, you say a short prayer and you go on your way. Well, let me challenge you to really look into God's Word. When you want to know something, try to see how much the Bible has to say about it. And what I do is this. I take a Strong's Concordance. It's about that thick. And you look up a word in the Bible and it will tell you exactly where it's used in the Bible. And you'll find a notation of the language that it's in. It's usually Hebrew or Greek. And then you start looking through the Scriptures and you see every passage that contains that Word that you're looking for. The Strong's Concordance, the Young's Concordance has every word that's in the Bible. It's not just pastors that should do this. But you should have a hunger, a thirst for the Word of God. Something that just you can't get enough of. It's more important to you than the food that you eat. And all the things that you might do on a daily basis don't compare to the importance of looking into studying the Word of God, studying to show yourself approved unto God, a person who works with God in that way. Well, I'd like to know what the words mean in the Hebrew. Here's not the exact Hebrew word, but here's the definition Heaven means the invisible realm of God in the Hebrew. We're going to find in the Greek, it's pretty close, it means God's dwelling place. And because I listen to Pastor Clark so often, uh, he always wants Webster's Dictionary in there. Let's put it in there and see what that means. In Webster's Dictionary, it's a place God dwells. And so here's the definition of of heaven from that standpoint. What will heaven be like? And what can we know? What well, we already know, we can't grasp all that there is, but we can also know in the Word of God that there's something that we can know. That God gives us all these words, all these Scriptures. There is something that we can know about the Word of God. Here's the passage. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Read those next few words with me. Now I know in part. Let's do it again. Now I know in part. So partly, we can know what heaven is about. But when we get there, we're going to know even as we are known. Now by the faith, hope, and love. But love is the greatest of all these. Now, let me say this, not to insult people that have faith, because I want to have faith. I want to have faith that heaven is real before I get there. But am I going to need faith that heaven is real when I'm standing there? Not at all. Am I going to have to hope that God is going to fulfill His Word? No, when I'm looking at the face of God, I'm going to know that He's going to fulfill His Word. But what's going to be lasting in all of this is the love of God. The love He shares with you and the love that you have for each other in heaven. I've read just about every book that there is out there on heaven and one I haven't read my wife has. I just finished a, a book this um, last week. The author's name is Richard sigmund and the title of the book is my time in heaven and let me say it was a pretty good read Uh, unbeknownst to him he was traveling in his van and it just wrecked it it was smashed from the back and from the front and when they looked to see what had caused it there was no apparent reason why it happened the The officer said it's just like God took his hands and clapped it together. And that's how the van looked. It was like an accordion. He was inside of it. He was pronounced dead on the scene. Taken to the morgue. They were ready to embalm him. When he sat up on the gurney and said, I'm alive. it's his eight-hour period, he was in heaven, and he describes some of the events. He, what I like about his book is this. When he's describing the events of heaven, he puts Scripture in there that's being fulfilled, and you can see how what he is saying fits into the Word of God. And that's what's so wonderful about some of the experiences that people have. Some are real wild and goofy. And I, if they don't fit into what the Bible says, I just kind of lay that aside and say, well, good for them. But when it begins to fit into what the Scriptures say, now you have my attention. And that's what happened when I finished uh, this book this week. Well, we need some eyewitnesses. That's what's going to help us understand heaven better. So we have all these people that have claimed to have been there. Some may have just ate too much pizza the night before. Some maybe were there. I believe Sigmund was there. <laughs> And there are others, probably, who have experiences that when they come back, they tell of things they could not have known any other way except that it was shared with them while they were there in heaven. But we have witnesses. We have two witnesses. Two witnesses in the Bible. Two people that we can be sure of. If it's in the Bible and it says they were in heaven, you can take that to the bank. They were there. And they're going to give us a testimony of what they saw and what they heard and all those things that occurred. It begins in Second Corinthians twelve, two through seven. I knew a man above fourteen years ago, the scriptures say, whether in body or out, I cannot tell. I cannot tell, only God knoweth. Such a one as was caught up into the notice the word there, third heaven. Third heaven. I knew such a man, whether in body or out of body, I cannot tell, God knoweth. How he was caught up into paradise. Notice that word. He was caught up to the third heaven, but the notation here by Paul is of paradise. So perhaps part of heaven involves this paradise that's being spoken of. He heard unspeakable words. Which it's not lawful for a man to utter. Of such one I will glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. At least, and at least I should be exalted above measure. Through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now we're going to learn some things. From this passage, Paul says that he knew someone who went to the third heaven. Well, let me say this. If there's a third heaven, there's a first heaven. If there's a first heaven, there's a second heaven. And then there is the third heaven that this person was caught up to. And I believe it like this. I believe the first heaven is the atmosphere right around the earth. So, you know, we fly up there, kind of. We move around uh, up there in a plane. We were about 40,000 feet when we flew here. Much more above that, and, you know, you're you're in a a place where you better have special equipment because there's not much oxygen up there. In fact, I think the planes have to pump oxygen in when you get at that height. Now, um, one of the persons, one of those rich guys, Branson, is going to fly today. Maybe he's already en route, I don't know. But they're going to go up 50 miles... When you get about 50 miles, he says for a few minutes, they'll experience weightlessness. And then they're coming back to earth. The trip costs $250,000 if you're interested. 700 people have already signed up. And um, who's the guy that owns Amazon? Bezo? Yeah, he's going too. Yeah, I've been in a couple weeks. So these rich guys are all going to experience this. Let me, uh, let me just say this about space. You'll be able to experience that in the new body that God gives you. You don't have to pay a cent to ride up there. God's going to do that for you. And I think that's something to rejoice about. The other thing is, Paul can't tell exactly how it happened, whether in body or out of body. He, he doesn't know. And the more I listen to what his testimony is, the more I believe that Paul is the person he's referring to. I believe it was Paul who was caught up in the third heaven. He knew a person. It was him. That's what I believe. The third heaven has a place called paradise. What he saw at that time, he just couldn't share. There are some things that you, when you get there, you know, you're not going to be able to tell other people. It's either so personal about yourself that no one else needs to know. You know, God has a name for you that only you and Him know. That's personal. That's precious. Some things people aren't ready to receive. So you don't want to cast your pearls before what? Why? And you want to hold back some things because people aren't ready to receive those things that you know to be a fact. Paul, I think, reveals that this person is himself because he talks about what's going to have to happen to him. He's going to have to be the more you know about God and the more you learn about God, the more humble that you should be in God's presence. God has a way of helping you do that. With the Apostle Paul, he had a thorn in the flesh. That thorn in the flesh is hard for us to understand because it seems to involve Satan. In other words, Satan was allowed to do certain things to Paul to keep him humble because he'd received so much from the Lord that he needed that extra help To remain dependent always upon the Lord. Well, we're talking about paradise. The word is only used three times in the New Testament. Here they are. When Jesus said to the thief on the cross, Today you shall be with me in paradise. How many of you remember that? The thief on the cross looks at him. Remember me. Remember me. And Jesus says, Today you'll be with me in paradise found again paul was caught up into paradise we've already read this passage he was caught up into paradise heard unspeakable words which are not lawful for a man to utter just on a note on the unspeakable words some of the things daniel saw in his visions he was told to shut it up until the end times So it's not uncommon to hear something that you're not supposed to repeat. Can you keep a secret? God is almost saying that. Don't tell anybody. It's just for you to know right now. And then John describes where the saints will partake of the tree of life in the midst of paradise. There's the passage, Revelation 2.7. He that hath a ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life. Notice where it is. It's in the midst of paradise. So these are the three times it's used in the New Testament. And God gives us that uh, much understanding. I'd like to know what the word paradise means. It's a park. When I think of a park, sometimes I think about what's right outside your door. It's beautiful out there. Everything is manicured. It's just a perfect place. When I think of a park, I think of a golf course. (laughs) Just perfect. The grass is cut so nice. And um, if your ball doesn't go where it's not supposed to go, you're going to hit it off a very nice level playing field. It's like a garden. Like an orchard. Perhaps it's like the Garden of Eden. Perhaps that was the original paradise God had in mind. And so we receive in the Bible two locations for paradise. This is going a little deeper than people normally think. But I'm going to share it with you anyway. You can say all oh, this pastor's nuts. But I think I'll be able to show you in the Bible two locations for paradise. First of all, it was under the crust of the earth. Here's the passage. It comes from the parable of the rich man. And this passage in Luke 16:22 and 23 says, It came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Then the rich man died. That's the guy that had everything. And didn't really give much of a concern to Lazarus, the beggar. The rich man died and was buried. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. He sees Abraham afar off and Lazarus resting close to Abraham, perhaps lying against him. Picture uh, John, the youngest of the disciples, resting his head on the bosom of Jesus. Just kind of leaning there. You know, when you like someone, you lean against them a little bit. My wife and I are not too old that we love holding hands. And if no one's around, she'll put her head on my shoulder. (laughs) And that's the kind of thing it was like. They loved Jesus. And so, what's wrong with embracing someone that you love and and holding them and being close to them? Here it is. This place originally was under the crust of the earth. But here we see a passage in Ephesians 4, 8 through 10, and it's talking about Jesus. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now he that ascended, what is it but that he descended First into the lower parts of the earth. When Christ was crucified, He went to paradise, which was real close to a place called hell. The rich man could see into paradise. There was just a gulf that separated them. But something wonderful happened when Jesus went there. The Bible says He took captivity captive. In other words, He changed paradise from being under the crust of the earth. He changed that to being at the third heaven. And that's a wonderful thing to realize God has done. And He did this in such a powerful way. Revelation 1.18 says He has the keys now of death and hell. That's no longer a dominion of Satan. Jesus owns it. And we can be glad that our destination is a new place called paradise in heaven. Is there something else up there, Roger, that I'm supposed to go to now? Yeah, there it is. Paul received extraordinary revelations. Things never, never given before to any other prophet. Any other uh, uh, evangelist, speaker, preacher? Some of the things that he shares are absolutely brand new when you look into the New Testament. And we're going to look at some of them right now. Even the mystery which hath been hid from the ages from generations, but now is made manifest to all his saints. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trump, for the trump shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So when I do a funeral, I go to the gravesite more than likely. And one of the things that I always say, is this. We are on resurrection ground. God is going to open this grave. And He's going to cause the inhabitants of those graves to be lifted out. And they're going to be reunited with their soul and spirit. And God is going to do this. He's going to absolutely cause our mortal, mortal bodies to be immortal. It's going to be the way Christ was. They couldn't find His body because He resurrected and He was now glorified. And if you just read a little bit about what that was like during that 50 days He was here on earth before He finally ascended, He had miraculous abilities to appear almost out of nowhere. His disciples were having a meeting, scared to death. The doors were locked. Who walks in to that place? It doesn't matter if the doors are locked. Jesus appears right in the midst of them. Two men were walking on the on the road and they're talking about the events of the day and Jesus suddenly appears and begins to talk with them. They didn't know who He was at first. It's like He could hide His identity. And then they sat down for a moment. When he was going to keep going, they begged him, come on in and have something to eat with us. And when he went inside and began to tell them about the Scriptures like they'd never heard before, then they saw that it was Jesus. And as they were watching him, he disappeared right before their eyes. There's something about this glorified body that we're going to receive that you're going to really enjoy in the future. No more sickness. All the things that you have to wear now, you won't need then. All the wrinkles that you have now are going to disappear. All the, all the pain and all the things that aren't quite right and all the things that uh, you would change if you could, but you can't because you're just a human being. God changes whenever you're resurrected. And it's still going to be you, but in a glorified body. And you're going to be like Jesus, and that's a wonderful thing to know. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-one and 54. When God has something really He wants you to grasp, He always repeats it in God's Word. It's like a a double stamp of, here's what's going to happen. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall we be brought to pass the saying that death is swallowed up in victory. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God, And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and we shall ever be with the Lord. So you see it twice. This is something Paul got, I believe, when he was in heaven. No one else knew about this. No one else had this revealed to them. But the Apostle Paul. Now, I believe Paul's one witness, but isn't it good God has given us at least another? Because the Bible says, in the voice or in the person of two or three witnesses, all truth will be established. So here's the second testimony. An eyewitness. And it's none other than John. Revelation 4, 1 and 2. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which heard, which I heard, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee the things that must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne." Now we're going to skip ahead a little bit because Revelation chapter 4 introduces all the things that are going to happen during the tribulation period. All the seals. All the vials. Everything that must be poured out upon the earth before Jesus returns. And I think you can be thankful for most of that. If not all of that, you won't be here. You'll already be in heaven if you're a child of God. In Revelation 21.10, John describes something which you are going to be part of. He describes a place that Jesus is preparing for His children. It's a city called the New Jerusalem. He carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain. and showed me that great city, the Holy Jerusalem, Notice what it says, descending out of heaven from God. So this isn't something men put together on earth. This is something that God has put together, Jesus has been preparing, and now it's coming down from heaven to the earth. Having the glory of God, her light was like a stone most precious. Even like a jasper stone, just to give you an idea, that's a greenish colored stone. Clear though, you can see through it. The wall had, was great and high, it had twelve gates. The gates had uh, twelve angels, the names written thereupon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. So twelve gates. Twelve tribes. It even tells you where they're going to be. Three gates in each direction. North, east, south, and west. Then the wall of the city had twelve foundations. And in them the names of twelve apostles of the Lamb. So here are the twelve patriarchs. Here are the twelve apostles centrally located in this building. What's amazing to me is that we're given dimensions. A golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof. The city lieth four square, the length as large as the breadth. He measured the city with a reed. Notice it has length, it has width, and it has height. And it even gives us the dimension. Twelve thousand furlongs. Now, I wanted to know what a furlong was. So, uh, I did a little investigation and found out that more than likely, it is 660 feet. If you take 660 feet times 12,000, here's what you'll get. 7,920,000. That's feet. Okay, to know it so we understand a little better, divide 5,280, which is the distance of one mile, that's feet, into 7,920,000. Guess what you get? 1,500 miles. Let me put that in perspective. If you were up in Maine and you flew just as the bird flew and you went to Key West... That's less than 1,500 miles. I think it's 1,480, 1,460. If you divide the United States in half, the half point comes at the western boundary of South Dakota. If you draw a straight line down through there, you'll get about a third of Colorado, you'll get a lot of Oklahoma, and you'll get the western tip of Texas. Everything on the east side of that, most of Texas, all of South Dakota, North Dakota, all that, that's on that, that's on our side. That's how big the length and width is of the city that God is building. Is that a big place? We don't know cities like that on earth. <laughs> you know, Jacksonville has this big square footage. It's not all populated, but they call it all the city limits. But this city limit is unbelievable. And that's not all. As much as you can think, that's large. Now imagine that going up 1500 miles. Will you say there's no, there's no, there's no oxygen up there? You won't need oxygen. How would you grow food up there? You won't need to eat food if you don't want to. Your body's going to be perfect. Self-sustaining. Glorified. Just like Jesus. Now I I just I'd like to look at what people have to say because I figure that even when I preach a message, this message probably has been preached dozens of times before. What have other people said? Has the Holy Spirit worked through people before me? I hope so. When I read a book, I figure that God had something to say. And, and perhaps there was more knowledge given to them on that occasion than I know about. Maybe I can learn something through reading the Bible, through reading books about the Bible. Things that people have written before even I was born. And here's what they have to say about the city that's 1,500 miles high. they are like plateaus. Sections. It's like a city that has levels. Closest thing I saw to it, and this will make you laugh, was the movie Avatar. James Cameron, I think, is a genius. Because when he puts Avatar together, there's nothing like it. He's developing a whole new world. And he has this place in Avatar called... The Hallelujah Mountains. If you've never seen Avatar, just watch it long enough to see the Hallelujah Mountains. They're floating up in space. You don't need to ride a banshee. You don't know what a banshee is? Well, it's this winged thing that can fly. You don't need to do any of that. Just look at what his imagination could see. And I love what he called it. The hallelujah mountains. They're going to float along. This city of God is something like you can't even imagine. When it says, I hath never seen and ear hath never heard, it's the truth concerning the new Jerusalem. Now, it's pretty amazing how this city is built. It has a wall. It's about 250 feet high. There's nothing wrong with walls, by the way. If we finish building walls, that might be a good thing. (laughs) Jerusalem has this wall around it. And that's a good thing. And this city has a wall built around it. Now just let me stagger your mind just a little bit more. The New Jerusalem is not going to be in the United States. I just gave you those dimensions. But you need to fit 1,500 miles right over the location of the earthly Jerusalem. Now, let me, tell, let me say this. If you go 1,500 miles from the New Jerusalem to the west, you're in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. Well, you don't have to go that far. You just go 750 miles because you could go 750 the other way. But whatever, this city is going to be magnificent and it's going to be located, I believe, near the Jerusalem that some of you have even visited. I've been there twice. And it's a wonderful place to go and see where the Lord walked. Let's go on, Roger, and take Another look. The building of the wall, it was of jasper. The city was pure gold, but the gold had a unique feature. It was pure like glass. You could see through it this gold that was there was so pure. The foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manners of precious stone, jasper, sapphire, Chelsea, emerald, sardonyx, sardis, beryl topaz, Chrysoprosis, Jacob, Amethyst. Incidentally, let me say this that the 12 stones that are mentioned there were in the breastplate of the high priest, identical stones. Do you think God just kind of just scattered some stones and. No, he picked them, hand picked them. Each stone represented a tribe of Israel. Each stone had significance. You know, you have a birthstone, right? Well, these were birthstones given to a tribe, and they signify something about that tribe. I want to ask the Lord about that because I think it has significance. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Now, this is a pearl like you've never seen because we get them, you know, in a, is it an oyster that has the pearl in it. You dig around, you. Maybe if that piece of sand got in there just right the oyster forms a, a a pearl around it and it's what if you get a pretty large one aren't you happy what if it happened to be a black pearl oh you're thrilled but these pearls were all of one piece and they formed the gates of the city that's something like you and I have never seen before every several gate there was a pearl The street of the city was pure gold. Notice the street. Pure gold. Now we use cement. And if we're not too particular, we'll use asphalt. I don't think they do that much down here. Because it would probably melt away. But up north we use a lot of asphalt because it doesn't get that hot up there. And it's cheaper to put that down. But have you ever seen a street of gold? You know what's nice about gold? Gold is soft, and it gives you a kind of a, a nice walk you 're walking along the streets and it 's like a a little cushion it 's not hard like cement such a wonderful thing you know we 'll fight and we 'll we'll just plot and plan, and how can I get into my portfolio? At least 10% of what I have can be in hard assets and can some of that be in gold. It's so precious to have. It is nothing in heaven but something to pave the streets with. That's how wonderful heaven is. And all the gems, all the gems that we think are so precious that we'd like to get our hands on. if we could just have enough of those, we'd never have to work another day in our lives. God studs the walls with them. What a magnificent Lord. What a glorious Savior we have. Someone who's building a city for us that we can't even imagine what it's going to be like. These stones and colors, I said already, are the high priest's breastplate. The city had no need of sun. Neither the moon. The glory of God did light it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Here's your indication. In the Bible, it talks about things like this. I'm getting too long, Roger. Just flash me. I know you will. There, I'm too long already. (laughs) You You get a picture of this in creation. On the fourth day... God creates the sun, moon, and stars. How did vegetation exist without a sun? Even in creation, God was the light. And He's the light here. All the nation of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. Kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. The gate shall not be shut all by day, for there shall be no night there. It's a wonderful place. If that isn't enough, there's pure river of water of life. It's clear as crystal. If you've ever been to Niagara Falls, one of the things that's most gorgeous about that. Just before the water goes over the falls, you can look out there and see the rapids. They're mighty. They're as clear as can be. You can see right down to the bottom where the stones are. This is what this is like too. Absolutely pure. Proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street, now I want you to picture this, the throne is located in the middle of the temple and these gates go out, three of them in each direction. This water is going to flow through every gate. And through every gate you'll find this, the tree of life. It's going to bear 12 manner of fruits, yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. Now here's something to stagger the mind just a bit. You're glorified. You don't need healing. You're perfect. You'll never need anyone to heal you again. But there'll be people on earth at that time that do need the healing of God. You're going to be pre-existent beings on earth. Like the angels are to us now. And there'll be people on earth that you'll be able to minister to and help. Come on up and get some of these leaves of the trees because they have great healing power. Just take a little bite and you'll see what I mean. And if that's not enough, this fruit. One person said as he ate of the tree of life, the fruit automatically appeared again as he took a bite and he ate it. There it was again. I don't know if that's true or not, but I'm just telling you what I heard. What I read. There shall be no night there. No need of a candle. Near the light. The Lord giveth them light. One of the greatest things too is that you're going to see the face of God. One person who walked the streets of heaven who had died and then came back said, When you're there in heaven, there's always this sense that you can see and feel God. And if you take a look, you'll be able to see Him. And when you see Him, He'll be looking back at you. There's always that presence, omnipresence of God. Your Savior, Jesus Christ, is going to be available to you. And you're going to love every moment you can spend with Him. Doesn't it sound beautiful? Can we give the Lord a hand for what He has shared in His Word? It's going to be a beautiful place. And you just need to make sure that you're going to be there. You get there by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm not talking about a casual belief. You know, the Bible says the devils believe that God is real. But it never leads to their salvation. When you ask people if they believe in God, most of the people will say, oh yeah, I believe in God. But a personal relationship with Jesus. A time where you've bent your knee to Him and you've said, Lord, would You please forgive me for my sins? Please, Lord, I recognize Your Son as my Savior. He died for my sins. I receive the gift of salvation. Lord, thank You. That kind of relationship with the Lord isn't something that happens once. That relationship you have with Jesus then needs to be maintained every day of your life. Never stop talking to God. If I go one day without speaking to my wife, she'll say, What's wrong with you? Did I do something? You got something on your mind? You've been working too hard. You've been out in that sun too much. Talk to me. That's just one day. Never let a day go by without talking to the Lord Jesus Christ, telling Him how grateful you are for His salvation, for what He's doing in your life, working all things together for your good. There is so much to be thankful for. We can't ever run out of ways and things to praise our Lord and God for. And you'll be able to praise Him today. If you've never done that before, I'll lead you in a prayer where God will give you His gift. The gift of salvation. If you've received that, then here's what you need to do. Thank Him for it. Thank Him for it with all your heart. Just say to the Lord, if there's still some things that need settled in my life, if there be any wicked way, David said, show me, show me the way of righteousness. Show me what I need to yield to you so that I can grow in the Lord Jesus Christ so I can understand more about the kingdom of God. Keep me humble, Lord, so that I can receive more of the things of God as I live my life each day. Let's all stand, please. Thank you for coming today. There's a million places you could be, but you've decided to come to church. Maybe for some of you, somebody twisted your arm and you came, and I'm so glad you're here. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you can know Him today. Let me lead you in a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son. Now, Lord, I want Him to be my Savior. I've sinned, Lord. There's no way even to tally it all up, but you know. Please forgive my sin. Thank you for the shed blood of Jesus that your word says will redeem me. I don't need to understand it all, Lord. But what I do understand, I yield to you now. I make you my Lord and Savior. And I want to live for you because you died for me. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe you prayed that prayer today. You know, the Bible says it's a good thing to give testimony. The testimony I'm asking for is just you to raise up your hand and say, I prayed that prayer this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank You. Praise the Lord. I pray that prayer often. And it never grows old. Thank You, Heavenly Father, for all who have come to church today to begin this week with You. We thank You for this new place, Lord, this new Jerusalem, this paradise that You're preparing for us. And we give You all the glory for what You're doing and what You're about to do in this world. We ask Your blessing all week long, Lord. Help us not to forget You, but to love You with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for coming today. God bless you.